Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Auditor Kathy McGinnis. She's a state auditor for the state of Delaware, former owner of Rehoboth Pharmacy, graduate from the pharmacy school at Northeastern University, so go Huskies, also has a biology degree from Florida Institute of Technology, so go Panthers. Welcome to the podcast, Auditor McGinnis. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. No, you're the perfect person for this because I actually just went and worked with some of our Medicaid oversight committee here in Ohio, and you're the auditor for a state's whole program with this type of stuff. So what made you really want to go into politics from being a pharmacist, especially one who even owned your own pharmacy? Well, you know, I'd always been involved through, you know, middle school, high school, whatever clubs, committees, et cetera. But here I am. uh, I'm out of pharmacy school. I come back to my hometown I go against the tide and buy a small independent pharmacy and with the goal of serving my community and turning this pharmacy around. When I took over, they were doing four prescriptions a day. Now, keep in mind, it is in a small beach town, which back then was pretty, pretty seasonal. We had a Memorial Day to Labor Day was our strong season. But in any event, there were things that started to happen in this small town that I felt I needed to be involved with. So here I am, I'm semi-young, single, and I start going to you know city commissioner meetings, et cetera, et cetera, and getting involved in the community, founding president for Hobbit Main Street. But I, re- I recall there was uh, one of the stores in the ocean blocks. Where, you know, I was two blocks from the ocean with my independent pharmacy, and they were installing one of those roll-down chain doors that you see in the city. And here's this seaside, quiet, charming little town. And I thought that's out of character. And I ran to that meeting and said, can you put a moratorium on that? This is not the the look and feel of this town. So I realized watching what was going on, I needed to get involved. So I ran for office. I served almost 18 years as a city commissioner. And it's pretty much volunteer because we made about $50 a month. (laughs) And, 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 you know, in in politics, uh, the smaller the yard, the bigger the brawl. So there were things that were very near and dear to many people's uh, hearts. Anyway, I, I was very vocal and asked a lot of questions and um, was always about accountability and being exact. You know, I always say whether you're counting pennies or pills, it's the same. With that, and and uh, by the way, I do think folks with a medical background have a rare combination. Uh, they have the scientific mind or being analytically analytical, but they're also compassionate and they have a strong bedside manner. And empathy. So I think it is just a unique combination. But that got me involved in, in I'd say, small town politics and serving the community. And the, the next natural uh, progression, there was an opportunity. I was very vocal with a very large infrastructure project and uh, things that were going in town that had to go to, you know, to tune over $50 million. And I was the one asking the questions, finding the change orders, where not just nodding my head and going along and going with the flow. Really, uh, it wasn't to be a jerk. <laughs> I was literally doing it because I had questions I didn't understand. I, I'm not afraid to ask the question. I guess that's it. But here we are, you know, a few years ago, run for a statewide office. I had to run my own campaign, put up signs, fundraise, all these things that you do. And I'm the first female state auditor that Delaware's ever had. And uh, I understand I'm the highest ranking pharmacist elected to state government because it is a statewide office. But it just seemed like a natural transition. And I, you know, I hope more folks in 
in the medical healthcare field decide to run for office. You know, that's pretty cool. And I like the way you phrased that. You said whether you're counting penny or pennies or pills, you need to be exact either way. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. And also, one thing you kind of alluded to was the fact that you just had an inquisitive mind, right? So you started asking questions when it came to certain things that were going on in construction projects, whatever. And really, you know, if you're a pharmacist and you can ask someone this personal question about, you know, their sexual history or things like that or, you know, their drug use, it's pretty easy then to go ask somebody about, hey, where's this money going? What's moving? Like, where's all this going? That's very, like... I don't want to say small potatoes, but like one of those things that's not much less personal than, than what we're used to asking people. So much easier to ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, honestly, I just I, I wanted to know. And then when you ask that question and when somebody picks that up in the press, then you have other people asking you about other questions or then they start coming forward to you and saying, hey, what about this? What about that? And if, more questions. So the idea was to get the information, be transparent and give it back to the community that was was interested. Yeah. And, you know, you've been a vocal advocate for transparency in a lot of ways. And I like that this kind of spills into what we need with pharmacy right now and healthcare pricing reform in general is just transparency. And specifically when it comes to drug pricing about how, you know, the lack of transparency could be costing us way too much money on prescriptions. You've been a big advocate of that. I'll put some links from some of the projects and uh, research you've done in the show notes for listeners. And I think most listeners feel the same way. But what have you been able to highlight with this issue or even bring about change in your role as auditor of Delaware? Well, we had started, for those who are not familiar, pharmacy benefit managers, PBMs, middlemen. Not only did we have a tip on our fraud hotline, we have a fraud hotline where it's kind of like the hub for fraud. And and then we have a team and we discuss, research, investigate, and sometimes it referred out to another agency where we feel that's more appropriate but this was a tip plus i also went to my senior auditors um out of the gate when i first took office and said what interests you what what would you like to be a part of and what do you think we need to be doing and i also did a westlaw search and that revealed agencies that either had not been audited or if they have no one could find it or it had been let's say 10 plus years so trying to intersect everything just for efficiency purposes, when something's highlighted on the, ho- on the hotline, there's interest, and it hasn't been addressed or performed in a few years, this made sense. And that's where we, we uh, focused on state employee prescription benefits. So this was the taxpayers' laws, right? And also with the independent pharmacies of Delaware, the small businesses. I'm, I'm, I'm from the small business world, and you have to know how to pivot and be nimble and, and uh, figure things out very quickly, especially if an order doesn't come in. What are you going to do? It's raining. I don't have umbrellas. Okay, what do I do? Uh, so there's, there's all those things that happen when you're a small business owner. And, you know, as I've said, the independent pharmacies, they're on the front line. And, and last year, they were really on the front line. Yeah. But where else can you walk in? and say, um, I need to speak, you don't walk into a doctor's office and go, um, I need a doctor out here to ask the question. It, it just doesn't happen. No, or, not very or often. <laughs> dentist office, give me, give me the, excuse me, I'd like two minutes with the, um, the dentist. It just doesn't happen. We are there, we are on the front lines. We are accessible. When somebody has an issue, nine times out of 10, they're going to go to the, the pharmacy first. You know, maybe that could remedy their situation. Or answer a question. If it doesn't work, then maybe they go to the doctor. And especially with the whole movement of trying to get folks to not just go to the ER for cost savings, it's really pivoted people more towards the pharmacies. But in any event, 
we we did a special report. It was going to start as a performance audit, but that that doesn't matter. But we, sometimes we have to pivot things depending on availability and um, cooperation of getting information. But in June of 2021, this past June, we showed Delaware overpaid for state employee prescriptions as much as 24.5 million dollars in just three years. So our main issue in our findings was that the state contract provided the PBM with excessive leeway to charge, you know, the extensive cost and fees and spread pricing and prescription costs. So that's what we revealed there. And it's not that Express Scripts would have to pay us that $24.5 million, but should they? Right. And so it all goes back into our theme, regardless of some of our reports that we've come out and with recommendations, is it's really important to have somebody with a seat at the table when you're negotiating these contracts that has the background, that already knows the dictionary, that could maybe see something that just maybe someone working in that office may not. So a subject matter expert, uh, I think a little bit or uh, can go a lot of a long way by having that person have a seat at the table or be able to consult and help with some of these contracts that are pretty large that affect our whole state. And I'm sure it affects all the other states too. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And, you know, it, I, I love the way you do it too, because it's almost like, you know, as a pharmacist, knowing your scope of practice, you know that you might not be an expert on construction costs. So you're like, look, I need a subject matter expert who knows this, who I can trust. But when it comes to pharmacy, that's your wheelhouse. When it comes to medical billing, you might understand it better, but maybe we need someone who's got that level of expertise and doctorate, master's degree in that. And just really pulling in those people and again, just kind of knowing your scope of practice and knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. And I think that's huge when it comes to somebody who's an auditor, but it's something that I think naturally comes to pharmacists because we have to triage so many things as you alluded to with the ER visit part. Someone walks in and I've had this happen to me and they're like, hey, can you fix this bullet wound? And you're like, um, no, you have to go to the ER. <laughs> like, I'm not going to take a bullet out of you. And that's one of those things <laughs> that, you know, but someone comes up with the sniffles, we ask them a couple health conditions, they're on any medications. All right, this is in my wheelhouse, go to aisle 10 and pick this up. You know, it's one of those things of just knowing your role. Is that kind of the way you looked at it? Right. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, you know, again, I, I always, I always have that small business in my background that's near and dear to my heart. Those are, those are the the little guys and I always and we did a survey in, in June of 21 and it showed that so many of these independents are struggling to survive just because of these predatory practices yeah. of these PBM so when you when you spoke earlier what are you doing well we've highlighted and put a spotlight on these reports and we you know we try and get it out there to the public I, I don't know if I've told you this but I took over my predecessor was in for 30 years oh wow so this office that not only this office, but the majority of Delawareans only know a certain style and a certain person in that office. And it was a, it was a quieter office. And, you know, I'm into using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn to get the message out because, as you know, that's where people are going. But not only highlighting these reports and getting out there and doing videos, but working to hopefully get some of these supports to change and pass national legislation. You've got a bunch of states doing some great things, but wouldn't it be great if we could have that on a national letter? And I, you know, I did write a letter to the president and our Delaware, our, our federal delegation, and it's, it's not over. There's still work to be done. I mean, there was recent legislation that had failed a couple of years back, but it did go across our General Assembly unanimously. So that's pretty exciting. 
And I do know our report was referenced by one of the bill's sponsors on the floor. So we were hopeful that maybe we gave a little oxygen to it yeah. uh, to help. But we're, we were really excited that everyone was on board. You know, you hit a few things there. And one is just that it shows the power of a role like yours as auditor is when you expose overpayments, or this, that, or the other, or, you know, problems like, and I'm not going to, I don't know the previous auditor, but, you know, if you're in office for 30 years, there could be, some corruption, some things that just got overlooked that, you know, you didn't know about. But, you know, when you come in with a fresh eye and really start looking at things with more analytically or from a different lens even, that can help pass legislation and affect change because now you just exposed an issue or brought forth an issue that needs to be addressed in some form of fashion. And the other thing you hit on too was I love the fact that you have reached out to the president's office with this and your state representatives or legislators, whoever you can, delegation to try and get stuff like this moving because as we all know the president is also from your state of delaware so when he sees something like that hopefully they can realize well this is happening in little old delaware what's going on across these much bigger and broader states and the whole united states as a whole that's a great call out and a lot of times these pbm fees like you said are really causing these small businesses to struggle and as a small business person yourself you really are stifling the american dream and the ability from somebody who has the tools who has the education from even opening their own business which since we are a capitalist economy is what we all or not all but a lot of us want to do right so we can have our own success story and so if you're squashing that you're squashing the american dream and that just goes back to the the core of what we're founded on exactly exactly and i, I like that you say fresh eyes because i've used that a lot as well it's a big deal it's a big deal to be able to look at something in a in a different manner or as you know you change one variable in an equation you've changed the output so this has been um it's been great actually the way you know we've done a a lot of work i mean in 2019 i had to pretty much do my own transition so when my predecessor started i had about 60 auditors when i started i had about seven so (laughs) yeah so you can you can see where accountability oversight what what that meant to to folks and if it was a silent office then what's really happening in our state government if this is just kind of a negligible place to oh yeah no no, tell you i had a lot of outreach to do that first year most people didn't even know we had an auditor and nine times out of ten they're calling me for their tax refund and i'm like no that's not what we do (laughs) um so we've had a lot of education how work to educate pre-covid then kind of everything shut down and our outreach, you know, almost came to a halt, a screeching halt. But yeah, I mean, I, I do like that fresh eye. I think that's so important. It's so important. And that's why, you know, folks out there can can change roles or add a role or remove a role and it, it will make a difference with the outcome. Yeah. And it really shows people too, that it matters, you know, elections matter. And I don't just say that like generically, but you know, it, you are an elected position and most people aren't going to think auditors top thing of of their bucket list they want to do, but it is an important role that does operate independently when it comes to doing a lot of this stuff. So it is also very important that, you know, people don't, might not think about, they're thinking of governor, president, maybe their senator or whatever, you know, for uh, Congress or the Senate, but they're not always thinking of some more of these down ballot elections where the offices really do matter. You know, the closer you get locally, the more it can actually affect you to some extent. So that's, that's a huge call out. And pharmacists normally aren't political people. No, you know, they're always, (laughs) we dance away from it. (laughs) You're trying to create value on so many levels. I mean, think about we used to be the most trusted. Um, we have, you know, you have to think about your administrative burdens versus your time with your patient. Yeah. Um, so there, there is, I do believe there's a way to lead 
but I, I feel that the pharmacists are so undervalued for the work that they do and give to the community. There, there needs to be some kind of, they need to be recognized as a provider. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with COVID now where you're doing vaccine, well, way more vaccines, you're already doing vaccines and then tests and then helping people make medical decisions of where to go or how to triage their care to stay at home or who to be around and everything else, which if if you're working on the front lines, you probably get that call 10 times a day and that's at a minimum. So, I mean, that's just what we're doing right now and I've been getting paid for it. Well, and, and the volunteering, I know that I made a point once a week starting in, I guess it was December or no, it was January this year that I would go and a lot of times it would be at a motor vehicle drive through or, or at night or, or wherever a school. And I would volunteer to do vaccinations for COVID because all I could think of was my colleagues are busy. Mm-hmm. They're working 12 hour shifts, you know, and they have a life and have to go to the grocery store and take care of the kids and maybe homeschooling, who knows? So there's so many factors that uh, I feel that they, they really leaned on pharmacists in general in the community, but now there were certain allowances with vaccinating and, and maybe prescribing and, and being on the front line. And, and I understand now there's, there's talk about rolling that back. So it was okay during a, a pandemic, but now, now is that too risky? I mean, it, I, I find that not a good thing. Yeah. Not a good thing. Cause I, I think that they have, they have really elevated the presence and let, letting the community know how valuable they are. But I, I think that those, the things, the allowances and permissions need to stay. Yeah. And especially when you look at just increasing access to care and how much that keeps people out of the ER, keeps them out of the hospital, yeah. keeps them out of more expensive yep. services. Yep. That's something I'm sure an auditor is very keen on since they like to keep their eyes on the budgets and everything. So I'm glad to see that you're, you're thinking that way as well. Uh, so yeah. as a state auditor, what proposals would you have to help make pharmacy payment structures easier to audit and find ab- abuses in both public and private sectors? Are there anything that comes to mind for you yeah i mean i think one solution could be well is the authority to access the data i mean we're all about data whether you're an auditor or a pharmacist right (laughs) the only way of what's going on through its contracts with the pbms let's say they they limit the access that the plan has to the data so i reference back to our report we had to surmise the excessive costs being charged to the state by the pbms because of the limited access to data and community pharmacists, you know, they don't want to risk alienating the PBMs because the pharmacies need the customers. So they're reluctant to provide the data. And then the large retail pharmacies are affiliated with the PBMs. You know, you know how that rolls. Mm-hmm. And then another potential solution would be make sure that any increases in the average wholesale price happened or took effect that day. I know that may sound like a, a pipe dream, but this could have the benefit of the same day reimbursement and that could alleviate the practice that we're seeing. And that would be easier to audit and identify abuses. Yeah, I really like those. I was actually working with the Ohio Joint Medicaid Oversight Committee here in our state and had a follow-up call after I provided testimony. And one of the things we were looking at was these PBMs are regulated under the insurance side of the state auditors program or the, the in Ohio. And mm-hmm. when you had to try and file a grievance, you had to go and to like put in, I think you had to get like four clicks to even get there. And then you had to put in so much like information. Like I actually sat there with them and I'm like, look, it's going to take me 10 minutes to fill this out. And that right. was per prescription. Like you couldn't just blanket upload a form and say, here's a major issue I'm seeing. Go look at this. But you had to go type per prescription. And I'm like, you know, if you, I'm a smaller operation, but you know, you're still doing 
10,000 prescriptions a month between the, the numerous sites. And it makes it really hard when you have to go, I'm about to look at every stinking line I have to which ones are worth submitting and then follow up. And that's not even kind of ones I might've missed. Like, can I just upload like the whole form and say, this looks like a problem. Here's why. And then let the auditor do their job, if you will. I know that's more on you, but that seems like logically what would make sense, right? Well, and, you know, in a separate vein, you know, in, in regards to Medicaid, a few years back, I believe it was 2014, that my predecessor did, uh, or actually, I think it was 2014 to 17, they looked at and they released a performance audit on Medicaid eligibility. Well, I implemented and started the risk assessment survey statewide. So now we incorporate that into our, our audit plan every year. So it's risk based, right? So we have that. So you can see what agencies, it's usually the same the same issues that come across the risk assessment survey that come directly and it can be anonymously from the state workers uh, also kind of match what happens with the ones that rise to the amount, uh, you know, the ones that are mostly called in uh, with our hotline. So we take that and that. And then again, interest, I, I spoke to our auditors and it all made sense. We said, okay, it's time to do another one. Plus we do the single audit. So the single audit looks at you know, over, let's say $750,000, there's a program and our single audit has identified repeatedly Medicaid eligibility issues. So obviously that makes sense. And we've been fighting for months and I've had to go to court twice just to get access to information for my team. My team knows what they need. And there's been a struggle there um, just to be able to get them the information. Now, granted, we did subpoena documents and there were about 12 to 13 items that we wanted and we've worked it out uh, with DHSS health and social services to get a majority of those items but we're still fighting because and they don't understand you limit the information then it hinders my team's ability to do their job right. it's not like you just do data and you can come up with something or ask five questions they do a lot of research they yeah. do a lot of research and so that's part of it so you kind of need to see a big picture to be able to figure out how they're going to move forward and, but we've got a lot of pushback just there. So and it's that, crazy. That's just, just so you know, accessibility is, and cooperation is, is key. And I, I do know other states because I love to go to other states and see what they're doing and what their good ideas are. And then maybe take a, a mix of that and create programs here for Delaware's auditor's office. But, uh, you know, some folks just, you know, either they have an agreement with their Medicaid folks or they have access and, and some don't. So it, it is a struggle that you see across the country. It seems crazy to me that any payer anywhere, private, public, wherever, would have to like go to court just to ask to get the records turned over for the services they're paying for. Like that just seems like just so obscure to me. I can't even like put it into words very well. Well, I think some people have some pretty fantastic uh, uh, legal teams. That's sad that that's what it comes down to, but that is what it well, is. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's fair. And it's it's just crazy to me that an auditor would say, just to see the numbers, you have to go to court, subpoena, do all these legal actions. And it's like, but we're paying for this. Shouldn't we get to see what we're paying for? Like that, right. if, if, right. if I walk down and need like a suit tailored and I see the work and then I, you know, I pay for it. In this case, you're not ever getting the suit back or seeing the results. So, so if you're a pharmacist and somebody has a rash and you recommend a cream, you're giving them that because you want to see improvement and hopefully the next time you see them, it worked. Yeah. You know, when we are, when you have a, a child playing soccer uh, on a little team, let's say when they're younger, uh, before they do a travel team, they're 
they have a coach, right? And they have different players that are supposed to be in their lanes. You don't have the goalie running up and scoring. You have folks that are in their area and they're being coached how to improve there. I look at auditing the same way where this is, this isn't a gotcha. This is, Hey, how can we do better? Cause we all win. Yeah. If we can all save money or be more efficient or serve our customer better or serve the state better, then it's a win-win. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what you're paying for. So why not? Right. All right. So I, there's two questions I ask everybody and I think yours are going to be interesting just because of your role and your experience. But if you could change one thing in pharmacy, that is not a law. What would it be and why? One thing I have, I have two, but I, I go think ahead right now everything, with your role. We'll allow two. I think right now everything's too corporate. And the patients are left navigating network requirements, coverage, limitations, and sometimes poor consumer choice. So I would like to see uh, expanded com- consumer choice where consumers aren't herded as cash cows to the same few entities, right? That yeah. who may simultaneously provide their insurance or operate the pharmacy chains or serve as a wholesale supplier or mail order or whatever, whatever. For there, There's few alternative options. So... And that's where a part of it can come down to consumers choosing to support an independent pharmacy and their community professionals or entrepreneurs over national chains. Well, uh, another part of that could be just a matter of national public policy and legislative change. But but I know that was not a law, so I can't say that. The other thing is, you know, pharmacists are one of the top most trusted professionals, but many of them don't trust their government. Right. So, uh, as I said earlier, we are that first line of defense. Then the community pharmacies, they need help. Independent pharmacies are paying the bill for healthcare, and these predatory practices. So I, I think the current model isn't working. Maybe like a bill for service rather than dispensing. Uh, as, I, as I said earlier, I think that it would be great if we were actual recognized as providers and had codes. You know, you're spending X amount of time or you do a service, you can, you can bill for that. So um, maybe explore billing practices that are more closely aligned with the rest of the healthcare industry. I think that'd be wonderful. But that also would say consumer choice doesn't have to continue to evaporate yeah. to corporate entities. Nothing against corporate entities. That might be the right choice for somebody. It could be location. It could be service, whatever. Not knocking that. I'm just saying I, we, we don't want to see the uh, exploration of independent small businesses. Yeah, you don't want someone to not get their medication because all of a sudden they have to go to a pharmacy that they can't physically get to or something like that. Correct. Yeah. All right. Now, if you could change, make, or remove one law in pharmacy, what would it be and why? Well, I would consider exploring antitrust regulation. I I do find it deeply concerning that any entity can have their hand in so many different parts of the healthcare and in, in pharmacy industry. And I think it's an interesting discussion of, to have and ask why we allow these massive corporate entities to not only be the healthcare providers with the wholesalers, distributors, and, and provide drugs to pharmacies and, uh, and the pharmacies themselves. Uh, this scenario, um, <laughs> I think we di- I think we should diversify the supply chain, and that could be an option worth looking into if someone has the uh, stamina and spine. And I think that just improves competition and consumer choice and accessibility. 
spoken like a true auditor who's also a pharmacist. That is like perfect for your role and your education and everything you've done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, awesome. Well, Thanks for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you if they want to reach out? Uh, maybe if they're in Delaware or maybe in other ways, if they kind of want to, you know, learn from you and some of the things that you've shared. I think the best way and the easiest way, believe me, is social media. So DE Auditor is Facebook and Instagram. DE is for Delaware. And then DE Auditor 1 is for Twitter. But honestly, I would say they could message me. They can go to LinkedIn. Yeah, um, that's how I connected with you. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, that's an easy way. I've had folks message me and had conversations and listen to some really great ideas and um, connections and opportunities. So I think that probably would be the, the smartest way. I like the fact that one, obviously you're a pharmacist in this role, but two, that you are just open to any means of communication. So many times with bureaucracies, it's like, oh, go through this channel. And you're like, but I can't find that channel. And this, you just like tore down that wall right there. Well, you know, uh, I used to tell folks, I've had many walls put in front of me um, and never really thought I'd hold statewide office because, yeah. because of maybe my personality or asking those questions, those difficult questions, but wanting to have a seat at the table. And not only have they put up walls, I feel like they put a, a piano behind that wall. So I really <laughs> couldn't. But uh, I always say, you know, you go over the wall, you go under the wall, you go around the wall. Sometimes you have to break down the wall. Yeah. And especially, like you said, being the first woman in that role and in a position like this, that's awesome. That's a glass ceiling we've seen break for equality and equity. That is just I always like seeing those, even though I'm not a woman myself. I just like seeing that everybody has a fair shot. That always gives me a little bit yeah. of hope. <laughs> Yes, I think it's wonderful. I'm really excited. And, uh, you know, as a as, as a mom, as a business owner, as a someone who's over volunteered and served on so many boards, started projects, uh, I'm a multitasker. And um, again, I'm only only as productive in that office as uh, the good people supporting me that my team that work for me and with me. But uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to accomplish a lot in a small amount of time and hopefully have put Delaware on the map. In, in the audit world and maybe some recognition in the pharmacy world too for some positive progress. Yeah, I can definitely say as in my newer leadership role that people give me credit and it's not me. It's my team under me. So that is a huge yeah. call out. And I love, I'm glad you said that because not enough people always recognize that. Correct. Awesome. Correct. Yeah. Well, well hey, thank you so much. I'm glad, to, I'm glad to share with you and talk with you anytime. I'm honored that you considered having me on and stay tuned. We got a lot more coming. Great. I'll put all those links that we referenced in the show notes, folks. This is going to be a pretty lengthy show notes, so you can follow up and kind of see what she's doing or share it with people in your state if you're not in Delaware who might need to hear some of this. I think it's a, it's great work to be done. And and share this as much as you can because I think this is a great open and honest conversation, and I just I really enjoy it. So thanks for coming on the podcast. And as always, listeners, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.